Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I am your host, David Cromwell. And the 2021 NFL Draft is in the books, and just moments ago, the 2021 NFL schedule was officially released, meaning the countdown to the 2021 NFL season is on. And to begin that countdown, we kick off our annual division-by-division draft class recaps with the AFC North. And joining us to break down the draft halls of the Bengals, Steelers, Browns, and Ravens is our good friend Bill Carroll of Nuts and Bolts Sports. Welcome back to the program, Bill. How are you doing? Always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure indeed, and let's kick things off with these Cincinnati Bengals who ignored the advice we gave them on our Dash of the Draft AFC North preview show and went with uh, Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell, uh, choosing to reunite uh, Joe Burrow with his favorite weapon from that magical 2019 season over more protection for Joe Burrow and his uh, injured knee. But that said... Uh, You cannot deny that Jamar Chase is a pretty special prospect. And aside from his established chemistry with Joe Burrow, what does he bring to the Bengals' wide receiver room that T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd lack? Well, he's more sudden than either of those two. And he's able to, though the other guys are are long and able to get space by just creating it with length, he's able to create it with quickness and also he's explosive and he's got power. He's a powerfully built guy. Eric Moulds is someone you might want to think of. You remember Eric Moulds? Yeah, uh, Buffalo Bills. Yes, correct. Uh, Mississippi State Bureau, Buffalo Bills. He's a similar kind of guy. Uh, even though he's not super big, he's very strong for his size. He has really, really a highly developed sense of how to track the ball. He's terrific at creating just a little bit of space with a little bitty push-off, that Michael Irvin push-off that you usually get away with. He's mastered that already at such a young age. He's going to be... Barring injury or something truly unforeseen, a really great player. Now, what they probably were hoping to do is by getting Carmen in the second, who I think is really more of a right tackle. But I guess they were hoping to still, you know, raise the level of talent of that offensive line. I'm still a little bit concerned when I look at their offensive line depth and talent. But, you know, we'll see who's right and who's wrong on this one. Indeed, that brings me to our second Bengals topic, and you mentioned that uh, the Bengals uh, invested that additional protection for Joe Burrow, but many believe they reached with the uh, selection of Jackson Carmen. Carmen may have protected Trevor Lawrence's blindside at Clemson, but most uh, who I consulted believe he projects far better at guard at the NFL level. Uh, based on Jackson Carmen's film, what do you think of him, and does he improve that Bengals offensive line even slightly? Oh, I, I think he improves it more than slightly. And whether he ends up playing right tackle or guard, I think he can play right tackle. Uh, he raises the total talent level of the room. He's a solid player. Like, there's nothing about him that makes you go, oh, my gosh, right? He's not, you're not watching Joe Thomas. You're not watching Orlando Pace, right? But you're watching a guy who can be an NFL starter. And like I said, could he play left tackle in a pinch? Probably. I wouldn't love that. But I think he'd be a solid right tackle and probably a very good guard. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of people had him as a late day three, uh, I mean a late day two, early day three pick. Uh, where did you have him, Grade? Did you have him as a second round pick? I mean, he just missed my top five offensive tackles. So, you know, he's a guy that if I'd, I'm very famous for having ties. Uh, if I had a tie for fifth, you'd probably be my number five B or something. But he's my, my number six. I didn't do ties at that position. But he's going to play. I mean, he's not a guy who is a bad athlete. He's not an elite athlete at the position. He's not one of those guys that you can put up and say, hey, there's there's Von Miller, go get him. But that's a very small number of people who can count on to do that anyway. Uh, he needs help against elite-level guys. 
But on the right side, where you may see fewer of those types, you probably will be fine. And as I said, he'd have no trouble kicking inside either. He could play right tackle or guard, I believe. Uh, interesting, Bill. Uh, and once again, it's great to have your outside-the-box thinking uh, on this program. That goes against the grain with what I've heard from uh, most uh, analysts. Uh, but uh, it's always good to have uh, diverse opinions uh, in this uh, NFL draft community. And in the third round, the Bengals addressed their defensive front with the selection of edge rusher linebacker Joseph Osai out of Texas. And in free agency, the Bengals' pass rush was downgraded in the views of some by losing Carl Loss to the Jets and throwing big money to Trey Hendrickson to replace him. Did the Bengals make up for that supposed mistake by taking Osai? I think Osai has a chance to be as good or better. Uh, He was really productive in a conference where, while he didn't see a bunch of NFL types, he did see a few. And, of course, he goes up against Samuel Cosme in practice, I don't know, hundreds of times in his career. So he's a guy who's powerful, a really good athlete, doesn't have the most diverse, but a very effective. He has three or four core moves he goes to, and they work really well. He's got that classic long arm stab. He can chop and rip. Uh, doesn't have a spin move yet, but it looks like he could develop one. He's got good enough body control. Uh, he does the classic dip and rip. He's got enough in his kit bag, you know, of, of moves that he could add a couple more things to become even better. I, I think he's good value, and I think they got even better value with the next pick in terms of pass rushers. But I guess we'll get to that in, the ne- in a second. Uh, yes, and their next pick was a Cam Sample uh, out of Tulane, I believe. And uh, a lot of people think he could kick inside to a defensive tackle and uh, replace uh, Geno Atkins. Or do you think he's better at edge, or do you think he could kick inside as well? Well, I, I think he knew it situationally. I don't think he'll get ever be big enough. Now, obviously, we just saw Geno Atkins have a great NFL-level career, uh, NFL Hall of Fame-level career, entering the league at about 287 and never got up about, about 301, 302 at his heaviest. I don't think Cam Sample's going to get close to that, though. I think Cam Sample's 268 or 269 now and maybe could carry 283, 284 without losing anything, maybe a little more than that. So he's an undersized guy if you're talking about kicking him inside. But could he play the four-eye? Could he play the five? Could he line up at seven-tech? He can play all over the place. I wouldn't sit him at three-technique all the time because he's getting thrown around. He's not a very big guy uh, to play inside all the time. But I love him. His tape is great. He's a good player. Yes, and moving on to the Steelers, and as everybody expected, they selected running back Najee Harris out of Alabama with the 24th overall pick. And with Big Ben on his last legs and arguably the worst pass-protecting offensive line in the entire NFL, is it hyperbole to suggest that Najee Harris will be the straw that stirs the drink for the Steelers' offense in 2021? Well, see, here's the thing. And, And obviously we always talk about positional value. Now, if you're getting Eddie George or, you know, Eric Dickerson, or even Adrian Peterson. I'm not going to scream at you for taking a guy a running back in the first round, but you're getting a slower version of Steven Jackson, who's still a good football player, right? Slower Steven Jackson, still a good football player, but that's not a guy I would take in the first round. Knowing that offensive line, through a combination of people retiring and people leaving via free agency, is probably the worst in this particular division, probably with some room to spare. I mean, even... Even the Bengals, I think, have a slightly better situation. So that really worries me. And as you mentioned, we have a quarterback who is in his latter years, who's lost a little something in terms of the ability to avoid the pass rush. So I don't love that pick, even though I think he's a good player. I would have addressed offensive tackle first. And there were lots of good tackles still on the board. But I believe Najee Harris will have a good career. I think he's going to be a solid player. I think he's going to have a nice, you know, nine, ten-year career. 
I just don't think that's a player you need to take 24th overall. I completely agree. I'm in the uh, no running backs of the first round club as well. But uh, uh, like I said, with that uh, offensive line they have, uh, at uh, Big Ben uh, uh, unable to rip it anymore and uh, and more afraid of being hit than ever before, uh, do you really think that Najee Harris will not be the main weapon for the Steelers this season? I don't think their team is set up to do that kind of thing. Like this, this isn't 19... 19- 74. Of course this it is isn't, yeah. 1994. It's not even 2004. This is a team that's really built to throw the ball around. Now, so they're quite of in a weird situation. Now, Najee can catch the ball very well, so he'll see the ball there. And he can pass protect fairly well, so he'll he'll hold up and blitz pick up. But this isn't a team that's built to just run the ball down people's throats. I'm sorry to tell, especially my, my fellow uh, Steelers fans who think they're going to roll back the clock and just be like Franco Harris back there. That's just not the way the team is built. There, there's nothing in the way their offense is constructed that's going to really allow that, frankly. Yes, and you bring up a good point with uh, Najee Harris. Uh, another common comparison I heard from him, aside from Steven Jackson, was Matt Forte. And both Matt Forte and Steven Jackson were two of the better receiving backs in the NFL uh, during their respective careers. And uh, Najee Harris, as that quick, hot route guy out of the backfield uh, and getting quick throws to him, I think that's a big way the Steelers might use him this season. Well, they'll have to. <laughs> I mean, everyone, like I said, a lot of my fellow Steelers fans are thinking, like, we're going to get back, you know, like I said, back to the past and just start, you know, slamming the ball on people's throats. But the team isn't built for that. And frankly, the game, the way it's played now, is it? I mean, there's really two teams that come close to running the ball 50% of the time. And 30 teams throw the ball way more than they, than they run it. And this is not a team that's built to be one of those two. This is not the Ravens, people. Um, and then, they, of course, they went – you know, Frymuth is a good player. I'm not. I felt like that was a little bit of a reach. I feel like the best value they got was actually their third pick, uh, Kendrick Green, number 87. Who is, if they do have the ability to run the ball some between the tackles, it'll be because of, of Kendrick Green, who is a powerhouse. And we will talk about Kendrick Green in just a little bit, but uh, let's go on to the Steelers' second-round pick. And uh, with that pick, they kept Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth in Pennsylvania. And uh, several guests uh, on this podcast during the pre-draft process absolutely lauded Fryermuth's blocking. Do you share that view? And if so, do you see him being mostly utilized as that sixth offensive lineman this season due to the Steelers' aforementioned issues at tackle? There'll be times where they'll have to be the Browns when we look at the Browns' pass rush group, they'll be keeping him in the block quite a bit. I think he'll probably run, you know, 12 routes and block the other, you know, 70 or however he plays in the game. Uh, he is a decent blocker. I still feel like it was, a, like I said, a tiny bit of a reach. But I think he will see the field fairly often. Uh, he'll probably be their number two tight end with a chance to be the number one before the season's over. But he's not a dynamic down the field threat. He's not going to give you what you get from the top, top, top tight ends. He's not going to, he just isn't that kind of player. So he's really, to me, a second tight end as opposed to a number one tight end, which feels to me like it got a little rich to be taking at that point. Uh, yeah, interesting. But a lot of uh, people were comparing him to uh, Heath Miller, uh, the longtime Steelers tight end. Heath Miller wasn't necessarily a guy that scared teams uh, over the middle. He was more of a dirty work uh, inline blocker and that could catch the ball in certain types of packages. Uh, uh, do you share that view as well? He has a chance to get there, but we didn't take Heath in the second. That was a late pick. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, so if that's his upside, if that's the, the peak, you're still fairly happy. But 
once again, that's not a player that you need to take to me that early in the draft. Heath was a guy that we got, you know, in the later rounds, uh, partially due to much like Gronkowski, a history of back injuries uh, when he was at UVA. But I don't hate the pick. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like I would have once again addressed the offensive line directly and maybe gotten a, a tight end slightly later in the draft, who maybe had a little more dynamic appeal as a receiver. But he's a solid player. And once again, he'll see the field early on. Uh, yeah, I definitely get uh, your argument there. And now on to the Cleveland Browns, who, in my opinion, he had one of the best draft classes uh, in this entire draft, at least on paper. And the Browns kicked off that impressive draft hall by filling that gaping hole at corner opposite Denzel Ward with Greg Newsom II out of Northwestern. And many had Newsom as the third best corner in this draft, behind only uh, Pat Sertan II and J.C. Horn. But some even had him as the best corner in this draft. I believe it was Jonah Tulls uh, of the Draft Network who had him as his uh, top corner were you a big fan of Greg Newsom's during the pre-draft process and how lethal of a duo can he and Denzel Ward be I'm a huge fan of Greg Newsom um he can play zone he can play man-to-man first of all he plays for one of the best coaches in America I'm just gonna say it and I am I am I completely biased probably <laughs> um, I my sister graduated from Northwestern I've been I go to Northwestern games on a reasonably regular basis but even beyond my bias Ask people around the league amongst the most respected college coaches. His name always comes up. There have been a few NFL teams that have tried to interview him. Uh, I won't name their names, but you might be able to guess some of those teams. Of course. And he's very loyal to his alma mater. Um, I think at some point, maybe when his children are older, I think he will m- want to move on. But for the moment, he's an amazing coach, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He always has really good, really smart defensive players. Greg Newsom is a great athlete, super smart tackles like he wants to tackle. I mean, he's a complete corner. Uh, his potential, now once again, this is everything goes right, but his potential is Rod Woodson level potential. I mean, and I, 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 I don't say that lightly. I don't, I don't say that lightly. But I've watched a lot of Greg Newsom, And he, he's not there yet, don't get me wrong. But could he get there? The answer is possible. He could possibly get to that level. Uh, yeah, and uh, Rod Woodson, uh, he was known for playing both corner and safety. Do you think Newsom has that similar kind of versatility? Later in his career, he's smart enough to do it, and he's tough enough to do it. But right now, it'd be a waste. I mean, he's such a good cornerback that maybe you know later in his career, sort of like so many other guys, like we've seen Charles Woodson do, and, and Rod Woodson, as you mentioned, and really, it's a long list of guys you think about. Uh, so he could possibly do that later in his career. But right now, he's too good a corner. Uh, absolutely. The Browns uh, drafted him for that reason alone to man the opposite boundary aside from Denzel Ward. And in the second round, the Browns traded up seven spots to stop the slide of our man, so to speak, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. And he fell in part due to a heart issue, as Adam Schefter reported. But another reason why he fell, according to Albert Breer, is because of the uncertainty of how to utilize him. Like teams looked at the Cardinals' inability to utilize Isaiah Simmons last year and looked at Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, um, who isn't uh, the prospect Isaiah Simmons was, and say, how do we use this guy? And uh, you said on our dash to the draft, linebacker class special that JOK is mainly a box safety. However, given the lack of athleticism the Browns had at linebacker pre-draft, it is widely assumed that they will try him out at linebacker. What is the best way, in your view, for uh, defensive coordinator Joe Woods to get the utmost out of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa if they do indeed plan to play him at linebacker as opposed to box safety? Sure. At the risk of selling like a Zen koan, uh, he is neither and both, right? He is a guy whose body says, I can't play linebacker all the time. 
because we just mentioned Kendrick Green, right? Guys like that are going to pull out on sweeps and, and screens, and they're going to hunt for him because they love hitting guys his size. That's what they live for. When you're a 320-pound dude, you live sort of a tough existence. Mostly people are, like, coming at you. You finally get a chance to take out your aggressions on someone you outweigh about 105 pounds. You're going to try to throw him into the cheap seats, right? So you need to be careful how you use a guy like this. Uh, people talk about the quote-unquote overhang defender or the spur or things like that. Uh, in the old days, used the term monster man back in the day. You have to have a plan for a guy like Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, right? The, the Bethel Bruin, uh, same yep. high school that gave us Allen Iverson back yep. not far from where I grew up. Uh, he is a very interesting prospect, but he can't be used every kind of way. You can't just sit him on the field like a normal linebacker and say, do this, do that. You have to have, like I said, hey, can he cover tight ends? Yes. Can he cover running backs? Yes. Uh, is he decent against the run when he's kept clean? Yes. If he gets a nice clean runway and gets to shoot gaps. Do you want him fighting guards for a living? No. <laughs> like that's going to, one, erase him essentially from being effective, and two, probably shorten his career if not his lifespan. Oh, Excellent, excellent points as usual, Bill. And now moving on from the new Browns to the old Browns, so to speak, with the Baltimore Ravens, who had two first-round picks, and I really like both of them. And with the first of those two picks, they finally selected a legit wide receiver one in Rashad Bateman. That said, the Ravens don't necessarily have the best track record when it comes to drafting and developing first-round wide receivers. Can Bateman buck that trend, and does he give Lamar Jackson what he needs to take that crucial next step as a passer? I'm going to say yes and yes. Here's what I think he gives you that none of the other ones that they've had before gives you. One, he can do it all. X, Y. I mean, he can line up everywhere. In the slot, uh, he's a guy that's a good enough athlete that you can throw it short to him and he can break a tackle and go long. He can run deep routes. He can go over the middle. He's not afraid, especially since nowadays they don't really let you smack receivers like we used to. But he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I mean, Hollywood Brown's an exciting Explosive athlete, fun to watch, but can you do everything? No, for some reason. One, he's 160-something pounds. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's just not a guy you could say do everything with. And Bateman, in addition to all the stuff we talked about, is also a good down-the-field blocker. So if you want to throw a screen, a wide receiver screen, out to uh, to Hollywood, he's going to help Hollywood by doing getting a block on a, on a corner or a safety and help spring him. He's a complete receiver, right? Uh that makes him a little different from some of the other guys they have. I, I think he's a terrific pick, and I think he's ended up having a fantastic career. I totally agree. And uh, in the first-round pick they got from the Chiefs in the Orlando Brown trade, the Ravens addressed the massive hole they had at edge with Penn State's Odafe Owe. And uh, we obviously referred to him as Jason Owe before the draft until at his uh, post-draft press conference he said, you got to call me by my real first name, Odafe, and I definitely salute him for that. That's a very inspirational thing uh, to do. And uh, O.A. was one of the freakiest athletes in this draft class, but his production in college was scant. Nonetheless, there was somebody named Daniil Hunter who had those same two basic things on his resume coming in, and he obviously went on to become a top-five pass rusher. Of course, setting that as the baseline of expectations for O.A. is foolish, but if there is any club in the NFL that can help him reach a super-high ceiling, in my opinion, it is the Ravens and their amazing defensive coordinator, Don Week Martindale. Can you see O.A. becoming a Pro Bowl-level player in Baltimore? It is the best possible situation for him. I think he's going to be mostly a rotational kind of guy. Here's the big difference between he and, and Daniil Hunter. Even though Daniil Hunter didn't rack up a lot of numbers, 
let me just, let me rephrase that. He didn't rack up a lot of sack numbers. Yeah. He actually got a lot of tackles. He got a fair number of tackles for losses, but a lot of solo tackles, which Jason Owe did not get. He was a more instinctive player, even though he wasn't being used as a pure pass rusher in his days at LSU. Jason Owe is basically, what's the old saying, a, a, a blind hound in a meat house. <laughs> he, he, he has a tendency to sometimes accident his way into things and then accident his way out of things. He really needs to see the play develop much more quickly than he does now. He has a tendency to, to guess, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. If you can get him to the point where he knows where he's supposed to be and can get there as quickly as he can get there, yes, you're going to get a great player. He's going to take a while, though. If you think he's going to come out of the box and be a guy who's threatening to be defensive rookie of the year, I, I think you're wrong. I think it's going to take him at least two seasons to even become a full-time player. But can you just put him on the field in a special package situation, just say, go upfield, just go? And he's going to beat the guy in front of him because he's such a freakish athlete and just make it simple for him. That's what I would do initially. Yeah, that's a, a very good idea. And also, when you look at O.A.'s tape from uh, last season, even though he uh, posted zero sacks, he was constantly disruptive, getting in the backfield regularly and uh, getting to the quarterback, uh, albeit not in time, uh, disrupting the quarterback and affecting the throw. And uh, he's also a pretty solid run defender from what I've heard right now. Uh, so uh, d do you also agree with those assessments? He, he's shown some ability to set the edge. But once again, just like as a pass rusher, he doesn't really know what he's doing sometimes, even as a as in run. He's just sort of throwing his body around. And sometimes it works out. Um, I would like to see him be better at knowing where to be and being more efficient in getting there. And he just has to see, like I said, he, has to, he doesn't see everything as clearly as, as you'd like him to see it. So he, that has to be worked on. And maybe film study and coaching will get him to that point. Uh, yeah, so you're saying that his uh, biggest issue is essentially from the neck up, so to speak. Well, in that he doesn't, like I said, I, I get the feeling like he doesn't trust what he's seeing sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes he decides not to worry about what he's seeing and just to go. And mm -hmm. sometimes it works out, right? Sometimes yeah. he just goes, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And it's going to work out less at the next level because you, you can guess right a little bit in college. You can guess right almost all the time in high school, right? Because you, yeah. you pretty much know what's coming. Yeah. In college, it gets a little harder. In the pros... You're talking about guys who do nothing but dream up ways to make you look bad. And he's going to run his way into a lot of being in the wrong place until he basically gets coached up. So I would use him, like I said, in simple third down situations where it's just like, go. Just go upfield. Maybe you'll run into something. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, as he gets more developed, he might become a full-time uh, player. But he's not as developed as Neil Hunter was, even though Neil Hunter, like I said, was, wasn't a super sack guy. He really kind of knew what he was doing already and just needed a little bit of tweaking. And now it's time to play one of our favorite games here on Sports Crunch. This is called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, we will mention a prospect that we haven't dived into in depth yet. And uh, you uh, judge whether I'm telling the truth or whether it's an exaggeration. Starting with the Bengals. Deontay Smith will be the starting left tackle or right tackle for the Bengals in 2022. I think at some point he will start at right tackle. I don't think he's day one. I think that, like some of you guys we've talked about, those some things have to happen in terms of technique and even, frankly, tightening his body up some. You can tell he's a guy that probably, you know, hey, we all like to eat, uh, but he's going to have to eat a little bit differently if he wants to be, play as many snaps as he wants to at the next level. But I think he'll get there. 
I think probably latter part of the season he becomes a starting tackle. Oh, interesting. That was earlier than I had it. The statement said in 2022. So do you think it's the truth he could oh. be starting at left tackle or right tackle in 2022? I think he has a shot to see some time at right tackle this year. Uh, I think he'll be a swing because, once again, it's so hard to play every snap. I think he'll be your swing guy, giving guys rest right out of the bat, right off the bat. And I think, yes, he could be a starter by next year. Yes, most certainly. Truth or exaggeration, Kendrick Green will be the Steelers' starting center in week one. The only caveat is he might end up playing guard. So that's what I'll say. <laughs> um, I, I, he's a guy that can play either guard or center. Yeah. He'll play one of them. Yeah, but he's going to be on the field. On the field week one, regardless. Oh, yeah. At one spot or the other, yeah. Yes, uh, why do you think he'll get on the field immediately? He's really, really talented. Um, I, I think, like I said, that was, the, to me, the best Steelers pick yeah. with some room to spare. Uh, he was basically the offensive line. I mean, I exaggerate. But he was by far the best offensive lineman at UC Illinois. And everything, when they needed yards, when they decided this is a yard two, we have these, these three yards or whatever, it was always running by him which is what I would do too. He was by far, he's a powerful, powerful person who's a good athlete, very smart. Once again, he's, he can play two different positions and people th sometimes think of that as easy enough to do, but it's not. Uh, first of all, playing center is super hard and playing guards not as easy as people think. So you have to be a very smart player to do both. Indeed, and Anthony Schwartz, who was on a national championship high school relay team with... Patrick Sertan, the second, the ninth overall pick, and Tyson Campbell, the 33rd overall pick. He will be a Pro Bowl-level return specialist for the Browns, a la Joshua Cribbs. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say exaggeration, though I think he has that potential. Uh, I think there's other guys who have better instincts in the open field. It, it's not just speed. Put the punt returning, right? Yeah. Kickoff returning, which unfortunately, I mean, I know it's for health and safety, and I, I, I respect that but I miss kickoff returns partially because that was my main thing when I by the time I got to college I was basically just a special teamer so kickoff returns were how I earned my uh, my keep in college but um now that kickoff returns have been de-emphasized as a punt returner it's really more about once again your ability to make extremely quick change of direction and he's reasonably quick but he doesn't have those amazing instincts that guys like Dante Hall and Devin Hester had he doesn't have that level of instincts so I'm gonna, I think there's other guys, even though they aren't straight line faster sports, who actually would be better at punt returns than he is. And moving on to the Ravens, Ben Cleveland will be starting at left guard for the Ravens in week one. Truth or exaggeration? Huh. I don't know about that specific position. <laughs> I think, once again, he will see the field immediately, but I don't know which position. Uh, perhaps left guard, perhaps right guard. Uh, he, he's another guy that could probably even play center uh, and has done it a little bit in his career. I think he sees the field. I just don't know if it would be that, that specific position. Uh, yeah, he's tailor-made for the Ravens, isn't he? He's a Raven, yes. He feels like a Raven. He looks like a Raven. He thinks and acts like a Raven. Uh, I mean, it almost felt like the ghost of Ozzy <laughs> went back into the draft. You know, not, I would say ghost, but he's very, very much alive. But Ozzy's still around the facility, but it felt like Ozzy sort of, you know, directed that that particular pick. It feels like Ozzie Newsom was behind that one. Uh, yeah, now Ozzie was in the war room uh, as well, so uh, 
he probably had a hand in that pick indeed. And he is Bill Carroll, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work at Nuts and Bolts Sports and follow him on Twitter at 11Bravo138. And uh, before we let you go, Bill, it's time to play another game called Absolutes. And uh, this game, uh, we uh, say what was your favorite pick, your least favorite pick, what was the biggest steal, yada, yada, yada. And uh, what was your favorite pick out of all the picks in the AFC North? I'm going to say Kendrick Green. Um, There were a lot of guys who were really, really great picks. And Rashad Bateman was very, very close. But that's about where Rashad Bateman should have gone. I feel like Kendrick Green was a bit of a steal. I think that he's going to end up playing right away. I think he's going to end up being a guy who's going to be like an all-rookie level of kind of player. One of the best, if not the best, rookie at his position. And once again, a mainstay at his position for a decade, maybe even more. What was the most puzzling pick in the division? Huh. Well, there's a couple. Um, if I have to pick one, and I guess I do, um, I'm going to say, having given it a certain amount of thought, I don't dislike the player. I want to make that very, very clear. I do not dislike this player. But the way the game is played now, and I know Tyler Shelvin was a fourth-round pick, but he's a pure two-down player, short yardage, goal line, run situation only. And the league, unfortunately, he would have gone earlier, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But the league, I mean, Sam Adams, Gilbert Brown, like those guys <laughs> aren't, they don't have the value they used to have, frankly. And I really feel like he would have been on the board maybe even two rounds later, but certainly at least one round later, just because he, his position, unfortunately, that, that pure run plugger has lost so much value. Uh, yeah, nose tackles are dinosaurs in today's NFL, indeed. And what was the biggest steal on day three in the AFC North? Huh, this is another tough one because there's a couple that I really like. But I'm um, going to force myself to pick, and I'm going to go back. Once again, this will sound like I'm, I'm being a homer, but I'm going to say Quincy Roche. Uh, I think he has a chance, even though he's picked number 216, to see the field early as a situational pass rusher. He's a bit undersized, but he's very savvy. Of all of the, you know, there were three Miami pass rushers that all got picked, uh, two of them Haitian, uh, in uh, Greg Rousseau and Kersi Roche, Sapu, AD, uh, and then obviously the um, uh, Jalen Phillips. The other two are longer and, and more attractive in the sense of, you know, a, a traditional pass rusher. Roche's a smaller player, but, much, but actually the most developed of the three in terms of technique uh, I spotted him back in the days at Temple, and I noticed that he really understood how to use his hands. He's a tough guy. Uh, he can play standing up. He can play a little bit of linebacker if you want to do that. I just think he's going to end up being a, a guy who greatly outplays his draft position. I, 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 that's, that's my second favorite pick uh, behind Kendrick Green for the Steelers. All right, so you liked uh, Quincy Roche of the Steelers. That means uh, what were your favorite day three picks for the uh, remaining teams, the Browns, Bengals, and Ravens? Okay. Uh, Well, I would say my my other uh, favorite day three picks, um, I'm a huge fan of Tylen Wallace, and I feel like he should have actually been gone off the board, frankly, late somewhere in day two uh i would have taken him heck in the late second i would have been mad if somebody took uh tylen wallace i think he's another guy that can play all of the spots he can play in the slot he can play outside uh he's a guy that's really good with reverses you know so you can get him the ball even in 
sort of tight areas, and he has an ability to navigate those tight areas. He's a tough kid, uh, doesn't mind blocking. There's a lot, to me, there's a lot to like there. Uh, for the Browns, I wasn't too crazy about their late picks, but um, I will say that I think Tony Fields the second has a chance to be a good player. Uh, another one of those sort of smaller, cut with coverage linebackers who can do a little bit of everything. And then for the Bengals, I'll go up their final selection. Wyatt Hubert is one of those guys that if you just look at him walking around, you don't think, this guy can't be a great football player, right? He doesn't look like he should be a great football player. He doesn't have quite the body you want from a defensive end. He's got short arms. He doesn't move quite as fluidly as you'd like. But just watch him play football. He is... Very smart. He's tough. He plays crazy hard. He plays probably too many snaps because he never would leave the field. He probably would have been a more effective player if he played fewer snaps, but he never would leave the field. So I think as a part-time player, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being a, a surprising player, a player who not only makes the team as a seventh rounder, but starts to see the field once again, in those situations where, because I think even though he's a small guy, smaller guy, he if you kick him inside in those special packages where you just have four pass rushers on the field, he's going to beat guards. He's got great interior kind of technique because even though he's short-armed, he knows really how to use his hands. He's surprisingly strong for a guy his size. I think Wyatt Hubert's going to end up having a really nice role, even if it becomes a full-time starter. Yeah, it looks like the uh, Bengals... Uh added uh, several great edge rushers in this class with uh, uh, Cam Sample, Joseph Asai, and uh, Wyatt Hubert. So they got some pieces to work with there. And uh, your best offensive rookie in 2021, but since uh, you said Kendrick Green was your favorite pick, he cannot be uh, uh, named to this uh, honor based on the rules of the game, so to speak. So we're sticking to just the AFC uh, AFC North, North, correct. Well, then I'm going to go with uh, Rashad Bateman. Well, Jamar Chase, well, it's... I mean, Jamar Chase is sort of the obvious pick, but I'm not going to go with the obvious pick. I'm going to go with Rashad Bateman. Um, I think both will have really good rookie seasons, but I think Rashad Bateman is the one who has the most obvious change to the team. I mean, they had a pretty good passing attack already in in Cincinnati, and he's going to add to it. But uh, as we just mentioned previously, the Ravens were trying to find something. And I think they found it. And I think it's going to open up uh, some more things for everybody else, first of all. Uh, and then the other thing he's going to do is he's going to get you those tough catches, right? And once again, no offense to the guys they had before, but they weren't the kind of guys that, hey, I need you to go right into the teeth of the zone. You're probably going to get whacked by a safety. I need you to get this, this catch anyway. And once again, I love Hollywood Brown, but that's not really how he makes his living. Rashad Bateman can do that, and he can still be a deep threat. Uh, I completely agree, and uh, also uh, it's important to know that uh, Justin Jefferson wasn't the uh, top receiver on anybody's board uh, last year, uh, and he uh, was an Offensive Rookie of the Year candidate. If it weren't for Herbert, he would have won that honor, and uh, I'm not saying Bateman will have a similar type of rookie season as Justin Jefferson, but uh, Bateman uh, was selected the same part of the draft as Jefferson. He could surprise many people this year. I mean, Stephon Diggs, right? I mean, it's a lot of Devontae Adams. A lot of guys that weren't the top, or even sometimes even the top five or six, uh, the thing about wide receivers is it's situation more than anything else. 
Now, Jamar Chase is in a really good situation, too, especially since he's a guy that really obviously has a great relationship with, with Burrow going in. But there's more mouths to feed. They throw the ball, obviously, a good amount, but they have a lot of really good receivers already. Uh, there's a less crowded room in terms of talented receivers uh, for the Ravens, even though they don't throw the ball as much. When they do throw it, they throw it deep a fair amount. So I could see him, even though he might not have more, I'm going to say 43. Let's say, the, for me, I feel like the, the breaking even point for him is about 43 catches. I wouldn't be shocked if in those 43 catches he had somewhere in the neighborhood of 780 yards and seven touchdowns. And last but not least, your best defensive rookie in 2021 in the AFC North. Okay. Um, here I will go with the Bengals. I think that – I wish I could split it between <laughs> – I'm famous for ties. We need sample and Osai. But I'm going to go Osai here. I think that he sees the field also right away and ends up – I wouldn't be shocked if he was number two on the team in sacks. I think he has a legitimate chance to be the, the second leading sacker on that, that team, even if he's not a full-time – Starter. Thank you very much, Bill Carroll. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back in the coming days with draft class recaps for four more divisions, so stay tuned. But meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Bill. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Bill Carroll, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, whenever the situation warrants it, wear a mask, over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, and please, if we want to fill every football stadium in the country this fall, get whatever COVID-19 vaccine is available to you right now. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much, everybody.